Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. The love doctor is in. Have a seat. Tell me how I can help you. We'll have been married for a year next month on August 12th. We didn't start with our names. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. My name is Tiffany Taylor. I'm Austin. Cecil Clay. C-E-C-I-L-C-L-A-Y. He spells it all the time. Ron and I, we've been married 32 years. We'll be married 24 years. Ten now? 11 years. 11 years Sunday. On Sunday. Yes, I forgot. Yeah. She's awful with directions, and I'll tell her, why Why didn't you turn right there? And Why can't you see it the way that I do? And I'm like, think logically. <laughs> Make a rational decision. Her iPhone. You know, she's addicted to her iPhone. At our at our wedding, before while I was getting ready, he gave me a frozen turkey. You're just being dramatic. But I will tell you something, and you totally hear it a different way than what I intended it to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do over scratch that. I mean, 32 years, we have a lot of stuff. <laughs> hey, let's just talk this through. We can talk this through and still get our points across. Could get a little heated sometimes where we're not, we don't yell at each other, but we're making our point. You know, there have been a couple of really dark, times in our marriage that um, struggles. I mean, you're saying I'm weak and I need help. Help me with my, my relationship. That's something no man wants to be like, uh, yeah, I need help there. I think we just think of things differently. Marriage is tough. It is not easy. You're right. Love is not easy, but the doctor can help you. Anything else you want to tell me? The sex part of it's got to be good. I mean, can I say that? The sex part of it, <laughs> you might edit that out. Leave that out there. Yeah, no problem. Hey, how you doing, guys? All right? Good to see you guys. Welcome to Liquid Church. Great to see you. Welcome, Nutley, New Brunswick, and Mountainside coming soon. If you're uh, watching online, you're listening on the radio podcast, we're thrilled that you're here for the kickoff of our new series, Love Doctor, um, because we are taking an honest look at relationships and ills and conflicts we all face, specifically in the context of marriage. Quick show of hands so I knew who I'm kind of talking to. How many of you are married? You're currently Married, okay. Keep your hands up. Been married? You've been married before? Okay. Hope to be married? All right. Raise your, okay. That's good. That's good. I, that's, I want to jump right in, and I just want to get right to this. I want to share the title of today's message. Wait for it. Here's the big idea. Ready? You married the wrong person. You can just write that down. Don't say amen. I see you over there. Don't go like, I know. I just... <laughs> If you're married more than 20 years, you're like, this is what I paid for. No. If you're, if you're, even if you're single... And even you're, you're, you're hoping you married one day, this may be one of your major fears, that you like make a mistake and you marry the wrong person. Anybody who's been, any, been in a relationship for any amount of time, if you're honest, at some point, you will suspect this, even if you don't verbalize it. Uh, personally speaking, I've been married to my wife, Colleen, uh, for 15 years. There we are. We were, uh, you can see us. We're on a gondola in uh, East Rutherford. Uh, we... <laughs> We, we met um, in freshman writing class in college. I went to school. We went to college out in the Midwest. Everybody wears, like, you know, L. Bean and khakis. And at the time, my wife uh, had big blonde hair, like aquanetted hair. And I was like, ooh, home, you know. And, and, uh, and we got engaged on July 19th, 1997. Uh, we were married exactly one year later, on, on July 19th, 1998. You, you know, women are always like, that's so romantic, one year later. I just want to make it easy to remember, you know. I'm like... Um, and when I shared today's title with Colleen, I was like, we're gonna, I'm going to call it, You Married the Wrong Person. She's like, exactly. 
I was like, wait a minute, what? Uh, But I do think any married couple who is being honest will admit to having this thought at some point in your relationship. It was five or six months into our marriage that I first kind of had that thought privately uh, because like a lot of men, I went into marriage kind of with high expectations, especially when it came to the sex part. Um, Colleen and I didn't have sex before we were married. We knew God had been, uh, you know, calling us to draw boundaries, but we struggled uh, and it was very hard. And so I came into marriage like rip roaring, ready to go. Um, I assumed we would be swinging from the chandeliers, you know, every night, you know, or... You know, at least every other night, and it's like, record scratch, reality check. Um, At the time, my wife was working very hard to establish a a corporate career in in New York City, and um, I was a teacher at that time, and so class would be over like 3.15, and I would, you know, I'd be home by like, you know, 4.30, and I'd go out for a, you know, mountain bike ride, I'd go for a workout, and Colleen would get off the train at 7 o'clock. I'd never made dinner, because I was like, I'll wait for her, you know, to come home and make that for me. Um, (laughs) And then time for some chandelier shaking, you know? And she would come home that first year, and she'd be, like, bone-tired, and she would be just like, you know, can we just order Chinese and go to bed early? And I'm like, what? You know? That was a hard first few months. And so I was told, well, you know, you need to express your thoughts and feelings to her. And so I, I said, can we go out for coffee? And I said, I've just been holding this in my heart. I got to unload this. I have a secret I need to tell you. Um, secretly, like, I'm disappointed uh, about, you know, just infrequent intimacy. And she said, oh, okay, well, my complaint is that you're a secret slob. Um, she goes, you know, and it's not a secret. Everybody can see this. I was like, wait, what? What? She goes, I get off the train, I come home, it's like a wild boar has been loose in the house. I can see everything you've done from the morning, like the cereal boxes on the floor, there's things stacked up, nails everywhere, your underwear is in a pile. She's like, the whole thing's destroyed. It's like we're living in a college dorm. Now just pause right here, okay? Because it took me five to six months to, to entertain this idea that maybe I married the wrong person. I said to Colleen, like, how long did it take you? She's like, oh, yeah, five, five or six days. And uh, <laughs> I thought I would have had at least a week. And she was so upset. First year marriage, true story. She called her father and said, Tim is a total uh, slob. Uh, Dad, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't care for the house or for me. And that set her dad off. Um, he was real, real supportive. He said, Colleen, you can move home. Uh, <laughs> He goes, we're two hours, we live in Connecticut. He said, we can have this whole thing annulled. And, you know, I'm like, I, I, they're Irish, they're Catholic, there's a lot of divorce in, the, in that side of the family. And I was like, I appreciate that rational nugget of wisdom, Dad. Um, does anyone else have in-laws who are outlaws? Is that just me? All right. That was my first introduction to the foo factor. You know what foo factor is? F-O-O, foo, family of origin, foo. The idea is we all come from different family backgrounds and histories and dynamics. And whether we know it or not, we bring those dynamics right into our current relationship. You can call it baggage. Um, I remember then that first year we went to see a marriage counselor. So uh, we go see our marriage counselor, Steve Armstrong. And I remember he said this. He said, well, Tim, you got to understand this. Picture this. When a married couple climbs into the marriage bed, it's never just the two of you. I want you to, there's six people at all times. It's her father, her mother. It's your father, your mother. Let me tell you, that cured my bedroom fantasies real quick, right? <laughs> She's like, you drag all that stuff in. It was a tough go. Um, for the first five years, we really, truly struggled. Um, I would like to say it got better. Like, we just, you know, mag- there's no magic wand. We fought. We struggled. Um, we hurt one another. I mean, very significantly. And, uh, and though we never said it, I know there were times that we both laid awake at night fearing the same thing, that I wonder if I married the wrong person. 
you know what? In some ways, we did. In some ways, you always marry the wrong person. Because according to the Bible, sin makes every one of us incompatible. I believe a careful study of Scripture leads us to this conclusion, and it is the number one source of relationship ills in life. And you may say, like, well, that's, you know, that's depressing. Because we have a diverse audience, and there are three types of people in this room today. There are those of you who are seeking marriage. Maybe you're single right now. You hope to be married one day. Or, or maybe you've seen your own parents' painful breakup. You don't want to make the same mistakes. And if you're single or you're single, again, this is going to liberate you, okay, as you seek a spouse. But there are those of us who are just, just kind of surviving marriage right now. Um, We have a lot of young families and a lot of couples in this church who are just kind of in survival mode. Maybe you have miles on the odometer, you're married 10, 15 years, you've got a couple of kids or a few kids, and you're juggling jobs and daycare and sports and and all that, and he's not being a help or she's not meeting your needs, and you're starting to have doubts because you're like, is this as good as it gets? Like, is is this it? Survival mode? Where passion starts taking kind of a back seat to the practical concerns of family life. Um, When Colleen and I had our second uh, child, all those like early battles, you know, whatever, they just sort of faded. But this whole new set of pressures and expectations overwhelmed us. And lastly, there are those of us who are trying to save our marriage. Maybe you're here today and you're on the brink of a breakup and you've decided to give it one last shot. Like, I'm just going to give it a few more weeks or someone invited you, you know, to this and you've tried everything and this is it. Like, God's got to do a miracle, okay? Um, you don't have much hope today. I understand that. Maybe you're here, though, and you're like, I'm willing just to lean in and see what God has to say over the next few weeks. I am so glad you're here. I have been praying for you. I really have. I'm like, God, can you do miraculous things to show us your power? I really believe the God we worship, if he can resurrect his son from the dead, he can raise a dead relationship. Amen? Believe that? If you don't, trust me on this. I'm going to borrow my faith. Just lean in on this. And here's a secret, because here's a secret. This is a secret, so I don't want this to leave the room, okay? (laughs) Lean on this. It's not about changing your spouse. I already told you this. You married the wrong person. But so did he, and so did she. Because sin and selfishness make all of us incompatible. So what that means is God has work to do in you and in me and all of us. And that's what I want to talk about in this series. We're calling it Love Doctor because we're going to ask God to speak into some of the most common misconceptions, conflicts, and, and um, challenges that confront anybody seeking a relationship that's going to go the distance. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak from experience, but I'm going to teach from the Bible, which I want to invite you to open right now. Would you take your Bible? All our campuses open up to Ephesians 5. It's on page 816. This is where we're going to begin our conversation. Ephesians 5 is kind of the Bible's greatest treatise on marriage. We printed this in your notes. You can follow along. Um, but in describing marriage, The Apostle Paul says this, he he quotes Genesis, he says, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound, what's the word? Let's say it together, Rick, a profound mystery. Can you circle that word? Because for the first five years of marriage, that's the word that describes what Colleen and I experienced. It was a mystery. We had no sweet clue how we're going to be, you know, Married five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and like best friends in a rocking chair, and like, I love you, sweetie, you know, we did. We're like, we got no sweet clue. It's a mystery to us. And this word in the Greek is, is the word mysterion. It's actually got a couple of meanings. At first, we're meaning it means hidden. It's something that's very hard to understand. And that's it. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I, that's why I'm not married. I don't really understand that. And if they do get married, how do people stay together? It's hidden. 
There were nights that Colleen and I, we went round and round, you know, the Mulberry Bush in the argument. I would like circle back, thought we had it worked out, and all of a sudden, boom, something flares up, and we right back where we started. And we would collapse in a bed, and I'd be like, this is a mystery, man. I do not understand how this is supposed to work with her. <laughs> or God, why God, why did you wire us so differently? It's hard, it's hidden. But the word mystery has a second meaning, not just hidden. The word is secret. It's, a, it, it's a, a transcendent or divine secret, a truth that God says, I actually want to reveal to you by my Holy Spirit. You're not going to know this naturally, but my Holy Spirit's going to reveal this to you because it's possible for you to hear that idea, you marry the wrong person and find it very liberating because once you admit that you're incompatible from the start and you need some source outside of yourself, you actually can be set free to love the person that God brought you to. And you can be committed to them with all their weaknesses and flaws. It's not magic. It requires hard work, but God's word gives us guidance. So this is going to be a provocative thought. Married the wrong person, but by day's end, I hope you're going to see this as good news. So let me tell you how we're going to attack this, okay? If you're taking notes, you can look in there, and I want to look at four things. First, kind of the mystery of marriage, because all vital signs right now point that the institution of marriage is actually in a free fall in our culture. Why is that? We're going to do a little diagnostic as a, kind of like a doctor. And then we're going to look at the history of marriage because a shift in our culture has taken place that kind of explains what many of you are experiencing. And then we're going to look at a phenomenon known as me marriage, okay? This is fascinating. And then finally, we'll look at the biblical meaning of marriage. So the mystery, the history of marriage, me marriage, and the meaning of marriage. And I'm going to start today, just so you know where we're going in this series, I'm going to start today with this very broad diagnosis And then we're going to get more and more practical and specific as this series goes on. Because what I don't want to do is stand up here and rattle off, here are five steps to happiness, you know. Here are five things that will help your communication a little bit. we got to shift paradigms first and kind of understand, well, what is God's perspective on this, okay? And then how does that apply to our everyday life? Uh, The reason we named the series Love Doctor is that right now there is a growing sense in our culture that traditional marriage is sick and dying, right? If I were a doctor and you took the pulse, all vital signs indicate marriage as an institution. It's not DOA, but it's kind of in a free fall. Uh, There are four main symptoms um, over the last 40 years. The first is the decline in marriages. Right now, this year, for the first time in our nation's history, the majority of adults 18 and older are single. In 1960, almost 75% of the adult population were married. Today, it's only 50%, so 25% Less marriages, more singles than ever. Um, A lot of adults are opting not to get married or get married way later in life. Uh, Maybe you have adult children who they move, you know, back home right now and they're at this age where you assume they'd be married or starting families of their own, but no, here they're back. There's an increase in divorce at the same time. The divorce rate has now doubled uh, what it was since 1960. Nearly half of all marriages end in divorce. Um, That statistic is relatively consistent inside the church as well as outside the church. Um, we, by the way, we welcome divorced folks in our church. We don't have any condemnation. We have actually special compassion for you. If you've gone through that or maybe you're suffering through that this spring, I hope this can be a place where you can actually like heal from that and we can embrace you as a family. Um, but we're all here to learn. Um, as I said, my parents um, actually have been married 47 years. I was really blessed uh, to grow up in a stable home. But my wife's side of the family has multiple divorces all throughout it, which make holidays super fun. I mean, it's just... So if you read those two vital signs, increase actually in divorce, decline in marriages, you see there's why there's an increasing pessimism among young adults about marriage. Uh, A lot of young adults believe that their chances of having this stable, dynamic, lasting marriage 
are actually not that great. Even if it lasts, they fear it will become routine or boring. Uh, The spirit of this age was captured in the movie Crazy Stupid Love. Have you seen this movie? Anybody seen this? No one will admit it. Okay, thank you. Fist pump. Awesome. Little fist pump. Uh, Story about a married couple, Cal and Emily Weaver, played by Steve Carell and Julian Moore. He's hilarious. They've been married 20 years, and and their marriage is just like boring and routine. And they're that couple who, in this one scene, they sit at the restaurant, and they have nothing to say anymore, right? They're married 20 years, and they've struggled just to have small talk. And it's so interesting, because I went back and looked in the screenplay at the dialogue, and the husband, he goes, he goes, oh, I'm so full. Shouldn't have eaten all that bread. Awkward silence. <laughs> and he's like, uh, so do you want to split a, a dessert? You want to split a dessert? And his wife doesn't say anything. He's like, you okay? You seem a little off. And she's like, yeah. She's looking at the re- She's like, I just want, I'm just trying to think about what I want. He says, yeah, me too. Why don't we just say it at once, what we want for dessert? Ready? One, two, three. She goes, I want a divorce. He goes, creme brulee. What? (laughs) What? What? It's a movie for our times. Here's the trailer. 25 years of marriage and you have nothing to say? I'll just say it. I slept with someone. If you keep talking, I'm going to get out of the car. I think the fact that I did it, it just shows how broken we are. How much, how much we really, oh my God. You're getting a divorce? Yeah. Amy heard you crying in the bathroom. We all thought it was cancer. Oh. Thank God, man. Yeah, that's my relationship. <laughs> Hi, can I buy you a drink? Uh-huh. Let's get out of here. Want to get out of here? Yeah. What are you doing later? <laughs> I don't know. I do. There's lots of beautiful women in this bar, but I can't take my eyes off of you. It's time to go home. Oh, it's forward of you, but okay. Yeah. Should uh, I pull the car around? Have you been drinking? I'll drive. Hey, ladies man guy. Any tips of the trade? Your wife cheated on you because you lost sight of who you are as a man. I met a girl and she is a game changer. She's your soulmate, right? Go get her back. Wow, how old are you? I'm in love with her and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know when you and I stopped being us. You know, when I told you that I had to work late, I really went to see the new Twilight movie by myself. And it was so bad. endorsing this movie, but I think it captures the spirit of our age, the zeitgeist, crazy, stupid love. That's how our generation kind of views monogamous marriage. You can either be, uh, you know, single and lonely or married and bored. Those are the two options that a lot of young adults see. And so it's no secret then today, more than half of all adults now live together before getting married. Cohabitation. In 1960, virtually nobody did, but today cohabitation is rapidly becoming the norm. And what drives that assumption is that most traditional marriages are unhappy or restrictive, and so young adults settle for a compromise, something in between, friends with benefits. Living together seems to make sense because you want to see if you're compatible, if if we have chemistry. And of course, the problem with that is the truth is no one is compatible, (laughs) If Colleen and I hadn't been married and just moved in for five or six months, she would have been out of there, back to daddy. (laughs) But we actually had a commitment that was higher than us to God, which made us have to actually lean in and lean on Christ, learning how to make this work. By the way, statistically speaking, living together is actually a disaster. I mean, those who cohabitate actually have a much higher rate of divorce statistically. 
um, those who commit to monogamous marriage, one man, one woman for life, they actually end up with 75% more wealth at retirement than those who live together. That's just statistics, not spiritual anything. There are profound social and economic consequences, not to mention spiritual, of living together without marrying. That's a sermon for another day, okay? Back to topic. The fourth symptom is single parenting. Uh, Shocking kind of statistic or maybe reality check. 40% of all children who will be born this year will be born into families without a father. So those, those kids will grow up without a, a stable, you know, model influence in, in the home. Mom will be responsible now. She's got to be nurturer and disciplinarian. They'll, they'll lock any sort of reference point for how you resolve conflict or how you share responsibility, which, of course, means lower likelihood of actually replicating your own healthy marriage and, and families. Now, listen to me, because there's no judgment here. I need to say this on a personal level. Single moms, you are my hero, okay? I, yeah, we can hear it for single moms. I have you to thank my, my wife for um, my, my wife was raised by an incredible single mom, and so I want to thank you, and I want to let you know as a church we are here to love and support and encourage you that you're in the best place. We want to be part of your extended family. But if you just look now at the empirical data by any scientific measure, look at those four symptoms, you will see the state of our unions, of our marriage, is unhealthy. Marriage is flagging, and whether you're married or not, we all have stories of relational ills, stories of hurts and broken hopes that we could share. So if you, you start to see why there is this disillusionment with traditional marriage in our culture. Now, it wasn't always like this. This decline of marriage is a relatively modern phenomenon. For hundreds of years in Western civilization, the goodness and the desirability of being married was assumed. It was the building block of civilization and human flourishing, and it was actually founded on that book you hold in your hand, God's Word, In Genesis, the Bible opens with a wedding. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, God brings them together for companionship. He says, it's not good for you guys to be alone. I'm going to bring you together. And there were two primary scriptural purposes. The first was for protection. Eve is created out of Adam's rib, out of his side, to come under his wing to become one flesh. They weather the storms of life together. And the second is procreation. God's original mandate to them, be fruitful and what? multiply, sex, yes. Sex is intrinsically connected in God's mind to the creation of children, and that was the foundation for flourishing societies for hundreds of years. From a spiritual perspective, the purpose of marriage was to give this framework of lifelong devotion of a covenant, not a contract, not a piece of paper. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about a covenant of devotion between a husband and a wife where it creates character because you actually have to sacrifice your natural impulses. It creates social stability because this is the best environment where it's not about you. The kids are going to grow. They're going to thrive. Communities get formed. Societies flourish, and, and it's reproduced. But, but shift happens. <laughs> and a new view emerged in the 18th and 19th century with the Enlightenment, which actually shifted the focus to the freedom and the happiness of you, the individual. Not the couple, not God, not family, not society. It's all about me. Men and women, you should be free to choose the life that most fulfills your dreams personally. Instead of finding fulfillment through self-denial, give up one's freedoms that marriage and parenthood demand, marriage is redefined by meeting your emotional needs and sexual fulfillment. So watch the shift. The shift moves from protection and procreation to individual preference, what do I need, and sexual pleasure. In other words, I want to find someone who pleases me. He completes me. It's the Jerry Maguire moment. You complete me, and you better be a freak in bed too. That's how our culture thinks. Forget what God designed marriage for. 
Forget kids, whatever. We're putting that off. We're not even bothering with kids right now. It's just about us. It's not about character. It's about me, my needs, my desire, my personal satisfaction. So the Enlightenment, in other words, took marriage out of the religious or public sphere and made it say, you know what? It's about personal gratification. It gave rise to a phenomenon known as the me marriage. Recently, the New York Times uh, columnist Tyra Parker Pope, she wrote this article called The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. And the upshot is that marriage used to be about us, but now it's about me. In other words, modern adults see the goal of marriage as self-fulfillment. You will not be happy until you find somebody who meets all of your goals. They better be intellectually stimulating. They better be physically attractive. They better be, you know, sexually exactly what I'm looking for. Um, They better share my common passions and interests. They better be athletic. And on top of all of it, they better be low maintenance, all right? She better not have a lot of needs of her, of her own. <laughs> he better not have any problems. And, of course, give you massive doses of respect and love and affirmation and honor and all that stuff. In other words, we go into this, our culture says, we're trying to find a man or a woman who doesn't exist. Those of you who spend time in online dating sites, you know this already. If it's too good to be true... <laughs> It probably is. There's what I expect, and then there's reality. I look forward to meeting you in a well-lit public place, right? And it's caught men and women in this quandary, right? Because we're caught now, listen to me, look, look at this. We're caught between hot, raised expectations in what the ideal spouse should be and lowered hopes that you'll ever find that right person to marry. And if you do, that the relationship would ever last. This gap, our culture has put us in this impossible situation. And that's why a lot of single people are paralyzed about their pick of a potential partner. In married couples, when you're faced, face-to-face, like with the humanity of your spouse, you look over your shoulder and like, I was looking more for pit. I got this, you know, the, the pits. <laughs> During the Super Bowl, I saw an ad for Axe deodorant, I think it was, that I think perfectly captures this ridiculous quest for the idealized mate. Why settle... <laughs> For a lifeguard when you can have an astronaut, ladies, right? Guys, you can't even stop thinking about the airbrush model. Like, I didn't even see the astronaut. According to the National Marriage Project, it says a pornographic media culture contributes to unrealistic expectations of what their future soulmate should look like. Influenced by sexy images of young women on MTV, the internet, and Victoria's Secret specials, men may actually be putting off marriage to their current girlfriend in the hopes that they will eventually find a combination soulmate and super babe, Right? I want to find that, you know, Victoria's Secret model who just loves Jesus, you know, just has a heart for the Lord. I just, I'm waiting, I'm praying. That's the reason a lot of single people are paralyzed, I'll be honest. No one's good enough because you have this idealized picture in your head and you let a lot of suitable potential partners pass by because what if someone better comes along? And it's the reason a lot of married couples feel disillusioned or dissatisfied. Because the moment conflict hits your marriage or their spouse reveals they have needs, or weaknesses, or shortcomings, you start kind of looking elsewhere. I don't, you thought you married the man of your dreams, and then you realize Prince Charming has hemorrhoids and halitosis, right? (laughs) Or your hot babe is prone to anxiety or depression. In five to seven years of the marriage, a lifeguard has love handles, right? But look, there's an astronaut. I I don't actually like the Axe commercial. I did find one that I think is way more realistic. Let me replace that image in your head with one that shows what real marriage looks like. 
Nobody marries the astronaut. You marry the guy who watches football with the bathroom door open. You are going to marry somebody with flaws, with annoying habits, disgusting habits, right? And deep, deep needs. And if that repulses you, you ain't ready to be married or stay married. Because nobody marries the astronaut or the bikini bombshell. When I married Colleen, I thought it was very important for my wife to be athletic because I love being outdoors and mountain biking and sports and all that stuff. And she, like, played along at first, like, oh, I'd like that. Yeah, let me get sneakers, you know. <laughs> my wife won't even go in the ocean now, all right? Let me tell you something. After 15 years, a couple of kids, I'm not Baywatch ready anymore, right? We have wrinkles now. We all want... we we. we we want our partner to have an exotic job that will make life this grand adventure. But you know what? Most of us take a car or train to a nine-to-five job that maybe bores to tears. And it's ironic because this me-centered marriage idea, it sounds so liberating. Yes, it's about being fulfilled, but it's actually paralyzing because we set up this ideal that becomes an idol. I don't want to marry the wrong person. Guess what? Too late. You already did. Every single person who marries in this room will marry somebody with major flaws, with emotional baggage, with annoying habits and family history. You marry, in other words, a sinner. Can I get an amen? Am I the only sinner here? Remember this big idea. You always marry the wrong person. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, I married the wrong person? (laughs) This is going to be liberating for some of you. Listen to how theologian... (laughs) That's great. Some of you are right there. You're ready to... Just looking for the excuse to say it. Listen to how theologian Stanley Auerwas puts it. He's an ethics professor at Duke University. He says the assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and if that we look closely enough, we will find the right person. And this moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we marry... First, the right person, just give it a while or he or she will change. The primary problem, this is profound, is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. See, the quest for a perfectly compatible soulmate is impossible. Our house is like, you only see the tip of the iceberg when you get married. I, I, was, I perform a lot of weddings as a pastor, and uh, I performed the wedding of this one couple about five years ago. And uh, when I met with them for, like, premarital counseling, it was so interesting because the guy was, like, he's kind of a tall, handsome guy, like, kind of James Bondish kind of guy, big personality, very extroverted. And when I said to him, I said, oh, what, you know, what brought you guys together? What attracted you? You know, the, the gal just kind of, like, worshipped him. And she said, oh, I just love that he's so talkative. You know, he's so confident. We walk in a in room, and he just, like, takes command. Well, they get married. About five years later, call me up. How's Tim? Can we meet with you? They didn't even live close. They're like, we just want to drive back. And and I said, what's going on? She said, my problem is this. He won't shut up. (laughs) He is self-absorbed. He is rude. And he barely listens, right? In other words, the backside of what first attracted, you know, her to him. And I, and I tried to make that point. She's like, no, no, no. This is, this is like total mismatch. It's a person. We even took one of those personality tests. He's like a J E R K. There's no, there we are not like, (laughs) Love's blind, but marriage opens your eyes, and it changes you, because once you're married, you're never the person you were originally. That's how profound marriage is. I hear this from couples all the times on the brink of divorce. I say, well, what's the problem? They go, well, she's changed. 
She's not the woman I married. Well, no, duh. What did you expect? That carefree girl used to whisk away on the weekend and go to the beach and you frolicked in the ocean. She's had three kids and she's put her career on the back burner and she's mostly frazzled and tired a lot now and she's prone to depression and she needs meds. Well, that's not who I married. No crap. (laughs) Sorry, it's church. Holy crap, right? I don't... I'm just saying. People get older... They change and they have different needs as they grow through life. And every married couple will go through seasons in which you learn how to care and love for this stranger, this person you didn't marry, as Howard West puts it. So listen up. Guys, she's not the problem. Wives, he's not the problem. You brought him here this morning like nailing Pastor Tim. No. (laughs) Your kids are not the problem. You will always go through peaks and valleys, up and down. It's never a straight and steady line. It's a roller coaster, like Steve Armstrong says. And the question is this. Faced with that reality, will you lean in, lean on Christ, or run away? Because you always marry the wrong person every single time. Every one of us is incompatible. I'm not talking about personality or hobbies. Do you like Chinese food? Walks on the beach? According to the Bible, sin makes every one of us in this room the wrong person. According to the Bible, we are by nature self-centered. That's what sin is. It's it's a self-stuffed with self. And this is where the true biblical meaning of marriage comes in. Go back to our original verse. Look at this. You're going to see this in new eyes. Ephesians 5. Here's the true meaning of marriage, Paul writes. He says, a man leave father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. It's a profound mystery. It's hidden. It's a secret. That's the first half of the verse. What's the secret of all this? This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about who? Say it. Christ and the church. You thought this was about you. In other words, the mystery, the secret of marriage, is that supposed to reflect God's unconditional love for us. Human spouses are supposed to unconditionally love and sacrifice for our partners like Christ did for his church. What did Christ do for his church? He loved her. How much? This much. He stretches out his arms on a cross and he dies for her. Why? Because she's perfect? No. While we were still, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. He covers our sins, our character flaws, our deficits with this radical love called grace. And Paul's making this parallel to marriage. He says, so husbands, listen, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, the gospel reflects marriage, and marriage reflects the gospel, and marriage only works when you reflect the gospel. It is only until you have prioritized your relationship with Christ and confessed that he's the only perfect person you will ever know, and that, you know what? By comparison, you are less than ideal. You have fallen woefully short. In human terms, Jesus married the wrong person. He deserved better than us, but he picked you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And in spite of your flaws and your adulteries and weaknesses and betrayals, he says, I want to enter in a relationship with you forever. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I'm not coming to be served by you, but to serve you and sacrifice my life for you. And so you learn something vital here. Marriage is not about self-fulfillment, according to Jesus. Rather, it's about self-sacrifice. About you laying down your needs, your demands, your life for the other, as Christ laid down his life for us. So we could have an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And see, unless you draw strength from the gospel, 
that same sacrifice that it costs Christ to bring us into relationship, union with him, you will lack the power in your marriage to put your partner first and make it work. Some of you, uh, just be totally candid, I'm like, I'm not going to bring out a magic wand and be like, here's how you're going to save your marriage. You know what your relationship problem is? You don't have a relationship with Christ. That's why you're struggling with it. Because if you don't have the love of Christ, you will inevitably turn your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse into an idol. They will become God and you will make demands of them they can't possibly meet. If you don't have Christ to fill the deepest longing of your heart for acceptance and worth, you will demand it of somebody. And that's what the modern world does. We push God aside and then into that vacuum we push marriage and sex. We make impossible demands that others can't meet. I need someone to fulfill me, to complete me, to always say the right thing, to be there when I'm down, to understand me when I'm sad. Can you do it? 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 No. Tim Keller writes in his excellent book, The Meaning of Marriage, he says this, it's the illusion that if we find the one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. But that makes the lover into God, and no human being can live up to that. Early in our marriage, I did this with Colleen. I wanted her to be the perfect lover, the perfect chef, the perfect mother and homemaker, et cetera, et cetera. In essence, I wanted her to be Jesus to me. And when my wife couldn't be the miracle worker, I just assumed, I guess I married the wrong person. I made her my idol. And you know what? Listen to this. This is profound. Jonathan Edwards, old school Puritan guy with a beard. He said this. This is powerful. He says, what you idolize, you will eventually demonize. What you idolize, when it doesn't meet your expectations, you will eventually demonize. And so if we're single, you don't like your choices, you get bitter. All men are terrible, man. What happened to men today? Where are they? If we're married and she struggles with insecurity or anxiety, pff, I, I didn't realize she was so high maintenance, man. Phew, she's cray-cray. I just <laughs> What we first idealize, we come to idolize, and you will eventually demonize because they can't be Jesus for you. But listen to me. If we trust in Christ and we apply the gospel to our marriage, you don't need a partner to be the perfect or ideal. They don't need to play God for you and meet every need or dream. Over the last decade, because of my imperfect marriage, I have learned to draw on Christ in a brand new way. 15 years in, sex is still important. It is still a priority, but it's not everything to me. There is an intimacy and acceptance that I know only Christ can give me that she can. 15 years in, Colleen will tell you I'm no longer a secret slob. Because I've started to make it a little bit more of a priority being neat because I know it's valuable to her. I've learned how to hide things in a hamper. (laughs) If Christ died on the cross for me, the least I can do is pick up my underwear for her. Hey, this is nitty-gritty gospel application to marriage. Even so, Colleen still... She has needs as a woman. I'm just going to say, I can't meet them. I try my best to understand and listen to her, but I'm just a man. I'm not God, and that's why I'm glad she has Christ. She may have picked the wrong person on earth, but she chose the right one in heaven, and that's not a a cop-out. The message today isn't lower your expectations, people. It's raise your sight. Raise it to Christ, because that's the God's honest truth of how you make marriage work, by applying the gospel to your relationship. When you admit you married the wrong person... That you're the wrong person. (laughs) You're set free. You actually are liberated to love your imperfect spouse with all your imperfect strength and rely on Jesus Christ to fill the gaps. Amen? 
Me-centered love does not last. Christ-centered love, that self-sacrificing love called grace, that is the only thing that can bring people, two people together, fuse them into one. The gospel reflects marriage, and marriage won't work without the gospel. We talked about this in the follower series. Gospel's message, ready? Come and die to yourself. That's the invitation to marriage. And that, Paul says, is the key to understanding marriage, not just understanding, but living it. Look at verse 25, last verse. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. He's picturing marriage here, the bride coming down the aisle. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's picturing a wedding here. He's like, because you're in union with Christ, you're now perfect. And you're like, I'm not perfect. I know. His love has transformed you. The Bible opens with a wedding in Genesis, Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding in Revelation. Jesus Christ and his bride, you, me. And he's making us holy by his love. So understand this. Monday morning, when you wake up and you look at the person lying in bed next to you and their wrinkles and their blemishes, they got zit cream all over, and their stains, what they've done in the past, don't see your spouse. You are, lo- you are mirroring the gospel. You are loving and forgiving a broken, flawed human being just as Christ forgave and loved you. It is the only way forward to receive that love yourself and then lavish it on your spouse. See, the gospel explains marriage. They explain one another. They reflect one another, and they're necessary if a relationship is actually going to last. So that's my challenge to you. It is why right now, single or married, divorced, whatever it is, it's why some of you are struggling in, in your horizontal relationship because you haven't taken the time to develop your vertical one. You've got to focus and fix that first because you can only give them love to the degree that you've received that love and forgiveness from Christ. And that's a word of encouragement because even if you come from a broken home, even if you've been divorced or you've lived with somebody or you're a single parent, whatever, guess what? God can break that generational dysfunction with the supernatural power of Christ and give you that power to actually love in a new way. The gospel is, it says there's a new model for marriage that's possible as you draw on Christ and not your personal parents' model, not the culture's model, but Christ alone. Amen? All right, here's how I want to close for us. Here's what I want you to do. All our campuses, would you stand up? Just stand up right where you are. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for some single people, some people who are struggling. If you're here with your spouse today, would you just grab their hand? Go ahead. If you're here with your spouse, just grab their hand. Don't be afraid. Go ahead. And I want everybody else, actually, I want you to open. Would you open your hand if you're single, if you're here alone, or if you're married, you're holding hand with one, I want you to open your hand with the other, all right? And I want to pray for you. Let's just bow our heads for just a minute. God, we're opening our hands to you right now, asking you to give us something that we don't have in ourselves. I'm asking that you would pour out the furious love of Christ right now into the hearts of your people. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus, we ask you right now, we need you. We've seen our folly. We've seen our sin. We've seen that we got nothing to offer. And God, you're, you're performing surgery right now on the eyes of our heart. We're starting to see in a new way, Lord. Open our eyes. We're turning our eyes to Jesus. We turn our eyes on Jesus. We thank you for loving us this way, God. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died and he gave his life for us. And because of that, we have a relationship with God that will last the ages. 
Father God, we have our hands open right now. If you're single right now, I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you right now just descend, Lord, on the lives of our single friends right now in this room? God sees you and you're waiting. He understands your frustration, God. Would you just, right now, just reassure them that you are with them on the inside, that you are doing work there, Father. We commit future marriages, Lord. We ask that there would be holy relationships that would happen as a result of this series because we begin seeking you and not our own. And Father, I pray right now for marriages who are just surviving, maybe just hanging on by a thread, struggling right now. Holy Spirit, right now, would you begin softening our hearts as we turn our eyes to Jesus? Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.